Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock. Uh, I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and today I'm really excited for a couple of reasons. I'm talking to my, my friend, Tom Leonard from Eanes ISD, superintendent of that district. Uh, and we're also promising that there will be no COVID talk. So Tom, that was the first and last time today that you and I will have heard that word. I hope you appreciate that. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. So Tom, a lot of districts that I talk to have to deal with problems, um, what I call poverty-induced challenges in American education. So you have um, superintendents who wake up every morning trying to figure out how to teach kids who don't even speak English um, and who don't have a home in many cases. I, I spoke to somebody last week who is dealing with a homelessness issue within their district. Eanes ISD is home to about seven, 8,000 students in the Austin suburbs of Texas. It is routinely ranked as one of the highest rated school districts in America. I suspect people move or go way out of their way to get into your district. Uh, your football team was undefeated and your quarterback's going to Clemson. What in the hell is wrong with Eanes ISD? I can't, I can't find anything online, at least, that says there's something wrong with your district. Why? Well, I- there's nothing wrong with Eanes ISD. Uh, <laughs> I think the point, though, is uh, do we have challenges? Yes, we do. They're uh, a little different than, I think, uh, the vast majority of school districts that are out there. But we do so, have challenges. We always so, challenges. so, you know, we, we share this with a lot of superintendents around the country. And it, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this podcast that uh, a superintendent who works at a school district in Houston, for example, but gets an offer to go to another school district that has the kind of uh, rare opportunities that your district has. What are some of the pitfalls uh, that they should be thinking of and the challenges to get ready for such a move to a district like yours? And I, I would only add a, a story, I, a conversation we had the other day with a superintendent who was talking about the, the aspect of supply parents versus demand parents. Yeah. Supply parents bring their kids to school and they, they, they drop them off. They supply their, their students and hope I'm guessing for the best, uh, as we all do for all of our kids. Demand parents drop their kids off too, but they have a whole set of expectations and you probably are the first to hear about those, aren't you? Yeah, I, well, I would say it this way. I think you know, parents, no matter what the school district, have expectations. Um, in our school district, um, they have a lot of aspirations for their kids, sometimes that are really beyond um, what a lot of school districts would have. So the vast majority of my uh, parents um, are college educated, uh, probably have um, postgraduate degrees. They have been very successful. And we do have a small number of low income, but it isn't our profile. Um, they are English speaking, so we're not dealing with all of that. But they do believe and want their kids to go off to a college. And sometimes it is not even just a state college. They want to go to a specific college and an Ivy League, or they want something of that nature. So the expectations that they have sometimes are, uh, can be at times, uh, even beyond the capabilities of their child. It, it can possibly be that case. Um, so 
uh, they want the best for their kids, like every parent wants their best for their kids, but they um, have the time, the energy, and they are focused, very focused. I have a very good old friend who's done quite well in his life, and his daughter was looking at colleges. Uh, she attended a private school in this case, and her father, one of my dear friends, about lost his mind when the college counselor told her that she you should go to a school in Ohio called Denison. Now, my friend had never heard of Denison, which, by the way, is a fine, fine college. He referred to it, however, as some sort of chili that he ate growing up. He wanted his kid to go to USC or, as you say, an Ivy. I imagine you have many of those parents, and I can only imagine what it's like for your, your college counseling team to uh, have to have those, those conversations sure. with parents with that kind of an expectation. We do have situations where a kid will come in in seventh grade <laughs> with a uh, particular sweatshirt of a of an Ivy League school, and the parents will say, oh, "My son or daughter is going to that school." Period. Yep. Um, and it may be the best school for that kid, but it also might not be. Um, and you know, so we do a lot of uh, working with parents, realizing that we want to find a good match for kids. Um, and Ivy Leagues are schools are not for everyone. They just are not. Um, and that sometimes is something we have to navigate. Uh, the parent expectations and the child's desires may not be um, aligned either. So we deal with that all the time. What is your matriculation rate from your high school onto four-year college campuses? So we average around 98% of our kids being directly accepted into college. And we're That's not- incredible. We're, yeah, we're not- and that's not our objective necessarily. It's okay for a kid not to go to college. We, we actually do say those words. Um, there may be, it may be fine for a kid to uh, spend a couple of years in the military. It may be fine for a kid to go to a trade school. There's nothing wrong with that. We have about 76% that go to four-year colleges and then obviously a lesser percentage that goes to a two-year college. And we also believe that that can be the right thing for kids. So. Um, there is no one path that works. I have toured your high school, Westlake High School, and after you see the size of the football stadium, one of the things that really struck me, other than that 10,000-person stadium, uh, was your incubator that you've created. Uh, and I, I suspect that you create things like this because of those expectations from the parents. You really have to compete with private schools for as, as excellent an education as you can provide. And what you've done is you've created, literally it looks like a little startup shop where the kids themselves run it, work with mentors around the community in the business community and learn how to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, and we actually, I started that with some uh, entrepreneurs up in Barrington, Illinois several years ago. And now that's, I think they're in, I think 30 states right now. Um, and I think two foreign countries, but it works really well in a community such as this. Austin is a dynamic environment right now. It, it really is. Uh, you read anything you wanna read in terms of the news, the number of people moving here, the companies yep. moving here, it's an entrepreneurial environment. And so it just fit beautifully into our high school, Westlake High School, which, uh, you know, we have about 40, 50 mentors who uh, will work with uh, kids who are forming LLCs. And then we will also have uh, usually about 30, 40 coaches, again, professionals. So somebody's an expert on marketing or someone's an expert on uh, financial projections. And they'll teach three, four days to our kids. And uh, it's an outstanding experience. It also, I think, gets our kids one step ahead when they're doing their college applications. And um, 
Beyond that, it's, it's all sort of, yeah, it's one of those things too, where they also, um, it embeds kids having academic failure. So someone tries an idea, it fails, they have to pivot, they try it again, it fails, they have to pivot again. And that those iterations and things are things we believe are going to be needed in life. And it, it works beautifully in our community. Well, don't you think that that's a key to so much when we see young people, the, the issue of resiliency does keep coming back up. And I think for so long, we've championed every kid's participation for so long. I think there is a movement towards finding some grit. And part of grit is is life, is failure, and understanding that failure can teach you more sometimes than, than success can. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, we're, and I think it's going to be more for this next generation. Um, back in the dark ages, when I came out of... Uh, college, one could think that one were, would be in one field for 30 years. Um, that is not going to be the case for a lot of the kids right now. Um, the world is changing rapidly. Um, automation, AI, you know, there are jobs that existed 15 years ago that don't exist now. And the jobs that exist now won't exist. We talk about coding now. We don't even know if coding will exist in five years. So how do you, uh, as you navigate trying to get an education and prepare for something and recognize that whatever you prepare, prepare for, you're going to be a pilot. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's right. not it's not impossible that um, there'll be self-driving uh, jets at some point. Um, it, it really is not beyond the uh, the realm of possibility. So, Kids better be resilient, um, not only in their professional life, but obviously they've always had to be in their personal life. So it's going to be an interesting time. People moving across countries now, um, people working in uh, virtual environments. Uh, things are changing a lot faster. And resiliency, I think, is one of the key things we want to develop in young people. So I want to turn the page a little bit. Somebody asked me a few months ago, who's the who's who's the coolest superintendent in America? And I said, it's not even close. This guy w works in Austin, Texas, and he has a jazz club on the side and he plays in the jazz club himself. Mm -hmm. How did you get into jazz? Uh, and how much of part of music is your life uh, every day? Um, I love music. Um, grandfather, uh, trombone player, jazz bands and uh Chicago Symphony, dad, saxophone, mom, piano. So it's just been something embedded in me. Played in high school. I play piano now still, and I play saxophone. Um, I probably, I take lessons in both um, on a weekly basis. And you are right. I helped some people start a jazz club in Austin because when I first got here, I wasn't finding a jazz club that I thought was of uh, New York, Chicago um, caliber. So um, we, we opened one and uh, I'm not great, but I really do enjoy it. And uh, I usually will play, you know, I would say six, seven times a year in the club. And then every once in a while, I'll just show up with the horn and play here or there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, tying it back to education, mu music in my childhood was such a big deal. There was a music teacher on campus and everybody played something. Yeah. It really has sort of highlighted by the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. Music has been one of the casualties of 
of budget battles in American education. How are you dealing with that in your camp, in your, in your schools? We have a robust program. We really do. Again, I think it's the, um, it's the expectations of a community such as this, and they recognize the value in, uh, we have orchestra, we have band, we have choirs, we have jazz band, we have, we really have it all. And our kids do very well in it. And they are also blessed in that many of our kids will have private lessons on the side. If you want to be the uh, first chair uh, violin player in our program, you are probably uh, starting violin when you are three or four years old. Wow. They're that, uh, it's it's part of what is uh, considered uh, part of a kid's education in our school district. So the other piece uh, that I'm fascinated from your perspective, you you know, for listeners who, who may not know, uh, Texas is, you know, one of the top two or three states that produces football players in this country. They are a state that is serious about football. Your, your, your team, I believe, went undefeated. Not, I mentioned your quarterback going to Clemson. You guys beat a team that has a quarterback that has a perfect recruiting score. Like the, right. He's unblemished as far as a recruit, the highest recruit in the history of Ohio State. He'll be going there next year, which makes me very happy. Um, how does football – weave its way into your life every day with regards to expectations and which have got to be sky high, just as high as, as any of the academic expectations you have, that, that, that sport is a real part of your life, isn't it? Right. Well, it is, it's part of our culture. You know, we have now uh, with Sam Ellinger now going to the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts, we have three quarterbacks in the NFL right now, Drew Brees, Nick Bowles, and Sam. Um, you know, we won. We've won back-to-back state championships in Texas at in the big school division. So this is about the best of the best in in uh, Texas football, and which means you're probably the best of the best in the country. Um, you know, it's 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 part of a it's part of a tradition that's been established here. Obviously, Drew Brees has been around a long time. Um, our kids love it. Um, we hire. We have an extremely good coaching staff. And uh, it kind of just feeds on itself and keeps going. But it also becomes part of that community. Um, you know, we'll get on Friday nights. We honestly will have 12,000 people here watching a game. And uh, we also televise our games this year with COVID. So um, every single game we had televised, either streamed or on live TV. So it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. Um, I don't think you, have, uh, you know, I'm not coaching last week. <laughs> well, you were a coach, weren't you? I, I think I read that you were in the coaching hall of fame in Barrington. Yeah. <laughs> what sport? I, uh, I am in their hall of fame, but just because they're nice. Um, I coached <laughs> football, basketball, track, um, volleyball over many, many years, but was never that good at it. Um, but I enjoyed you, it. You know, um, a week ago, my son wanted to go watch, you know, lacrosse is huge here in Maryland and, he wanted to go watch a high school playoff game. And I was, I'm from California. I saw about as many green men from Mars growing up as I did lacrosse sticks, but it has slowly grown on me. And what was, what was remarkable attending the game last week was it was one of the first sporting events that I've been to where the fans um, have, have been liberated to attend the game, have been liberated uh, of their mask uh, and to, to hear kids cheering. 
Yeah. And and then and to watch a game where the team we were rooting for came back and won that game, it made me really uh, cognizant of just what we've missed the last year. I mean, sports really is a huge part of the socialization and the the, the fiber of American education in many ways, isn't it? It is. Um, and I really feel sorry for some of my colleagues in other states. Um, we did miss a couple games here and there because of quarantine or another team being in quarantine, but we had a full football season. Um, we finished second in the state of Texas in basketball this year um, in the big school division as well. So full basketball, track, baseball, cross country, it, it all is working. Again, there were it, it was a little different. It was a little harder this year, but um, we did not miss that. And I really feel thankful that for our kids that we were able to pull that off. You know, typically, Tom, on this show, as we wrap up on the clock, we ask about fast food or what your favorite place to eat is. And I know Austin pretty well. In fact, you mentioned how, how, how much it's grown. I, I was there in 2000. And the difference just in the last 15 years has been extraordinary, but it's still known. The state is known for barbecue. I, I know Franklin's is an institution in Austin. Yeah. Where else would I go if I don't want to stand in line for an hour and a half? Oh, Lambert's barbecue is really good. Uh, there's Cooper's, which is out of uh, Atlanta, but they're here. Terry Black's, um, Stubbs, you know, oh, wow. the you, whole barbecue, lineup. you, you can, the <laughs> barbecue is even, you there are told, there are, you will have no trouble finding great barbecue and tacos. Torchies, uh, you know, is one of the best taco places you're going to find anywhere, period. Uh, the breakfast tacos are a thing yeah. in, in Texas, aren't they? They are. They, I think, <laughs> coming from Chicago, I had to get used to what a breakfast taco was. But, yep, that's a thing. It's It can be a really good thing. Yeah, indeed. Um, Tom, last thing, tell us how uh, listeners can get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out. And also, uh, what is the name of the of the jazz uh, restaurant and bar? So, uh, well, I'm in Eanes ISD, which is E-A-N-E-S ISD. So if you Google that, you'll find me. Um, and uh, that'll be the easiest way. The name of the jazz club is Parker Jazz Club. And again, you can just Google that in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, if you're in Austin, it's a great place to hang out. Um, it's not your uh, place where you're going to be with uh, 21 to 23 year olds, but um, it's more of a 30 to 60 ish group. And it is uh, great music and a kind of a Frank Sinatra place you can hang out. I have been there. I vouch for it completely. Tom, thank you so much for being on the clock. You are now off the clock and we thank you for uh, attending uh, this little conversation i really enjoyed it and guess what we stuck to our word we, we only mentioned that word that c word one time not bad okay thanks you tom. Well. thank you, you. bye-bye if you want to learn more about the show please visit www.strategosgroup.com please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode and until next time I'm Todd Dallas Lamb, signing off.